Well, that's our prayer. And how many of you love the Word of God today? You love the Word? I want to share out of you my, my favorite psalm. I want to share out of that psalm. I'm going to take three weeks with it. Um, we're going to call this series, Don't Sweat It. Now, we have an 11th commandment around here. Did you know that? The, Moses forgot to write one in. And it's called, Thou Shalt Not Sweat It. Now, I want you to say that 11th commandment with me, would you? Thou shalt not sweat it. How many of you need that commandment every once in a while? Do you believe that's God's word to us? Thou shalt not sweat it. Well, I'm going to talk today about fretting, the fretting problem. And Psalms 37, which I have just been buried in this, this week, is all about not fretting. It's all about giving your problems, your issues to the Lord. And I have found that after having walked with God for quite a while now, many, many years, I still have to remind myself of this. Don't worry about anything. Don't fret. Although fretting isn't talking about worrying. So let's read the first four verses of this psalm written in David's old age. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be envious against those who work unrighteousness. And which is what? That which is not upright or in right standing with God. Here's what's going to happen with the wicked. They will soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Then he says, trust, lean on, rely on, be confident in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and you will feed on his faithfulness. Isn't that a great phrase? Feeding on the faithfulness of God. And truly you're going to be fed. Then delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires and the secret petitions of your heart. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for deliverance from a fretting mind. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your peace that passes all understanding. For guarding our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit and say, fret not. Amen. Fret not. Fret not. Now, I used to think that fretting had to do with worrying, but it doesn't. Fretting is an old English word that speaks of an unsettled heart. It is somebody whose heart is agitated or troubled. That's what fret means. Now, that's the old English. The Hebrew meaning of fret is to glow, to blaze up, to be incensed or angered as a person can become hot with anger. Boy, he was really boiling hot. That's the idea of fret. It's either you're angry simmering underneath like the oven is on low in your heart and you're, you're simmering with anger or it's explosive. You're just mad. You're just boiling and that, that's the idea of fret. He says, fret not, boil not, be angry not. The fretful believer is tossed and turned by their circumstances, circumstances they can't control. You know, it's one thing to be concerned about what you can control, but it's another thing to be fretting about what you can't do anything about. Right? Paul speaks of those who are like children, tossed to and fro by the waves of circumstances. 
always tossed. That's immaturity. There are believers that are always rattled, always shaken, always uh, boiling or agitated or disturbed or troubled. They, they don't walk in the peace that God wants us all to walk in. They're always troubled, fretting. The fretter is agitated. He's disturbed by things around him. He lets circumstances affect his peace. When the Bible says, don't let circumstances affect your peace. Because God gives us a peace that cannot be intellectually comprehended. Because you have that peace when there's no reason for you to have it in the natural. He's unsettled. He's angry. The person that Psalms 37 is aimed at. So clearly, Psalms 37 is all about fret not. Now, to make sure we get it, David repeats it three times in the same psalm. He says, don't fret. He says, do not fret because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. So don't be agitated or troubled or lose your peace over evildoers. He says, secondly, fret not yourself because of him who is prospering or successful in his way, because of the man who successfully brings wicked devices to pass. That's going to happen in our world. Wicked devices are going to be brought to pass, and it's going to look sometimes like the wicked are succeeding. He says, don't fret over that. Don't fret over it. In verse 8, he says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. The idea being that if you fret all the time, you're always agitated and troubled and bothered and bugged and kind of half mad, you have a tendency to slip out of the grace of God and, and make mistakes that you wouldn't normally make, do things you wouldn't normally do, lash out and say things and take actions that you shouldn't. So fret not, lest you do evil. Now, God's solution for fretting not, not having this troubled mind that the enemy wants us to walk in, it's very simple to remember and it's beautifully laid out in Psalms 37. And I'm going to deal with it in three parts and three weekends. The first part is given in four commands. And I want you to repeat these commands with me. Trust. That's about half of you. Let's try it again. Trust. Do good. Dwell. And feed. All right, I'm going to elaborate on that in just a minute. Now, next weekend, the second part we're going to deal with commit your way to the Lord. If you want to get rid of fretting, commit your way, your future, your path, the direction of your life, commit it to the Lord. Not the way you want to go, the way He wants you to go. Not your plan, His plan. Commit your way to the Lord. And the third part, we're to rest in Him. I think this is the hardest one. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. See, the fretter says, I'm going to make something happen myself. But the one that's waiting for the Lord, waiting on the Lord, concerning things that he can't control anyway, he turns it all over to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm waiting for you to act. How many of you are waiting for the Lord to act in your life? Waiting for the Lord to act. Isn't it beautiful when the Lord finally breaks through and moves? And it may seem like it takes a while, but when he acts, I mean, he acts and he moves and things are changed. So that's going to be the third week. Wait patiently for him to act and rest in the Lord. Now, the fretter, if you'll notice that David is addressing, read Psalms 37 when you go home today. It's my favorite and it'll bless you. The fretter David is addressing is angry over the age old problem of why the righteous suffer and the wicked seem to prosper. 
Now, if I'm God, I'm going to switch that. And if it's the wicked, I'm going to make them suffer. And if it's the righteous, I'm going to make them successful. But every one of us has looked at a situation sometime in life where it didn't seem fair. Here we are trying to walk with God. We're trying to do His will, please Him. And we're chastened every morning, disciplined every night. And yet we watch the wicked around us and it seems like no problem, no harm, no trouble comes to them even though they're living wicked lives. And that does not compute in our computer. Amen? Amen. This person that Psalms 37 is aimed at is fretting over why the wicked are seemingly rewarded. Why they aren't punished for what they do. There's people I know of, I don't understand how they're not today grease spots. There are people who live in our world. who I don't understand how God has let them continue to live, but he does. You know why? Because God is good all the time. So there's a reason we say that God is good all the time. It's because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And so God is good, and he runs his universe unlike we would. He doesn't do it like we would. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are past finding out. He does what he wants to do. He's God. He's sovereign God. So the fretter is looking at the wicked. They're prospering. They're succeeding. It doesn't seem like they've got a care in the world. And the fretter says, I don't get it. I don't understand. And David wrote about this in Psalm 73. He said, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. When David went into prayer, God opened his eyes and showed him that the wicked's feet had been put in slippery places, that they will one day certainly come to a certain doom. And he saw the whole situation through the eyes of God. But before he had that revelation, he was fretting. He was looking at the wicked and going, I don't get it. I'm chastened every morning. I'm disciplined every night. I don't get it. Why God is letting them get by And I can't get by with anything. You can hear the fretting and the frustration in David's voice in Psalm 73. But now in his old age, when he writes Psalms 37, he's learned not to fret about things that he cannot control. You know, folks, there's one thing we shouldn't fret about or worry about or be afraid of, and that's what we cannot control. And that's most things. Amen? And he imparts by the Holy Spirit the first part of God's solution, God's remedy, Dr. Jesus' remedy for getting rid of a fretting mind that's always agitated and always churning and never at peace. He says it begins with trust in the Lord. Can everybody say that with me? Trust in the Lord. His son Solomon wrote one of the most famous verses on trust in Proverbs 3, verse 5. You all know it. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding because your own understanding will not always tell you the truth. Your own understanding, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Your own understanding will lead you astray. Your own understanding will cause you to draw conclusions that are not accurate. There comes a time 
When you don't understand what's going on around you, you just got to look up and say, Lord, I trust that you're in charge and I'm not. You are the sovereign God and I trust you with all of my heart. Though I don't understand your hand, I trust your heart. I lean the whole of my being onto you. And Lord, I trust you implicitly. You are in charge. Now I'm going to give you a fact of life. Here's the fact. The cornerstone, the cornerstone of deliverance from fretting is trusting the Lord. Not always easy to do. It means you've got to let go and relax knowing that he is God. Trusting means instead of allowing my mind to be disturbed and sad because there are wicked men on the earth, and rather than fuming and fretting because they're prosperous and apparently they are happy, or endlessly worrying because they might injure me or my reputation, we are to calmly confide in God and trust His providence. Trust God's providence to work it through in his own good time and his own good way. Can I assure you today, God is working in ways that you and I are completely unaware of. Let me fill you in on some good news. God is already planning some blessings for you that you don't know anything about. God is preparing, David said, a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. And it's so much so that your cup is going to run over. Can I inform you that God is never checkmated by the devil. He is never defeated by the flesh. He's never overruled by the will of men. But God rules over the nations of the earth, and history is his story because he's the mighty God who has always been and always will be. The devil is a dog on a leash as far as God is concerned. I've read the back of the book. I see who wins, and it's not the devil and it's not men. It is God and his son, Jesus Christ. Period. So rather than fuming and fretting because the wicked are prosperous and and apparently happy, we are to trust in God and lean the whole of our being on Him. I leave everything in His hands. I trust that He rules and that what He permits is wisely permitted. There is a great peace when you just let go. Psalms 46.10 says, let go, relax, knowing that He is God. And I trust that whatever may occur, it will be all overruled for his own glory and for the good of the universe. Do you believe that? I hope you do. As the old hymn says, I love this hymn. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sevilla Martin wrote that, and she shared in writing how she got the lyrics for that song. She writes, early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. And one day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. 
Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the beauty, she writes, of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me, and the hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow, was the outcome of this experience. A couple who said, you know what? Yes, we're afflicted. Yes, we've got problems. No, we don't understand it all, but our eye is on you. And since your eye is on the least of the birds, the sparrow, millions and billions of them in the earth, plain, ordinary, not colorful, just common, but Jesus said when even one of them drops to the ground, the Father knows about it and allowed it. And if God so takes care of the sparrow, he's going to take care of you. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Trust him. Can we just lift our hands for a minute and say, Lord, I trust you. I want some of you in here to release to God whatever troubles you. Just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust your providence. I trust your goodness. I trust your power. I trust all. I give you my burdens. I give you my cares. I give it all to you, Lord, and I trust you. Now say with me, I trust you, Lord. Amen. Give him a hand of praise. Isn't he good? He's good. He's good. Now, David didn't stop there. He said, here's another part of the remedy for getting over a fretting, agitated mind. He said, first trust the Lord, then do good. What great advice. Do good. Trust is an inward attitude. I walk around trusting God. It's just the attitude of life I have. But then doing good is putting faith into action. While we set our hearts to trust God, we've got to busy ourselves with good works rather than fretting over what troubles us. Listen, I can't tell you. I told last night and I told this morning service, and I'll share with you that I can't tell you how many times ministry has pulled me out of the doldrums, has delivered me from thinking about myself. I might have felt blue or I might have felt discouraged or fearful about something, but when I come to minister to you, it just pulls me out of myself and it gets my mind on you. I have never known a happy, selfish person, but I have also hardly ever known an unhappy giver. When you get your eyes on meeting the needs of others, it has a way of delivering you from a fretting mind. Because listen, there's a blessing in you. There is faith in you. You know something and you have something that someone else desperately needs. And when you get out there and do good, then it has a way of delivering you from a fretting mind. Amen. If there are wicked men in the world, if wickedness abounds around us, and it does, this is all the more reason for our seeking to do good. Don't just have an attitude of trust, but then put feet to your faith and involve yourself in good works. There's a quick autobiographical sketch of Jesus in Acts 10, 38. I want you to listen to this. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How did somebody operate and move who God was with? They went around doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. You know why Turning Point is here? We're here to do good and to heal people oppressed by the devil. 
We're not here to be religious. We're not here from weekend to weekend to see somebody's new suit or new dress. We're not here just to be religious people following a book of rules. No, we are here to do good and see people delivered who are oppressed of the devil. The Bible says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Hebrews 10, 24 says, here's the reason you come to church and why you shouldn't go to church is looking at a TV screen. I thank God for television and for some of the Christian shows that are on there, but that's not your church. Your church is getting around people with skin on them. That TV screen can't reach through the screen and marry you. That TV screen can't reach through the screen. That image can't reach through the screen and bury you. That image can't reach through the screen and counsel you. We need people with skin on them. And the Bible says, let us consider. Here's what we do when we come together. How to stir up one another to love and to good works. Why do we have church? After church, you ought to find somebody and say, let me stir you up to good works. Let me stir you up. You look kind of down in the doldrums. When was the last time you took a pie to your neighbor? When was the last time you said to somebody, can I just pray with you? When was the last time, as Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me? I was in a hospital and you came to see me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. What was he explaining and describing? Good works. And they say, well, pastor, you got to be careful there now because we can't be saved by good works. You're right. We are saved by grace and grace alone. By grace through faith and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, it is a gift of God. We are saved because God gifted us to be saved. He gifted us with salvation. It is a 100% gift. Nothing we could do can cause us to earn it. But once you are saved, good works are evidence of the reality of your salvation. Listen to Ephesians 2. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, here's a mind blower for you. Before God said, let there be light, before God threw the birds into the sky and made the fish swim in the sea, God saw you and I redeemed and ministering in good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So we're called to do good works. We're called to evidence our salvation by reaching out to people in the name of Jesus. So if others are doing evil, let's do good. If they are wicked, we cannot do a better thing than to do good. The best way of responding to the wickedness of the world is to do it good. Romans 12, 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much power in doing something good. So much power. The best way to keep the mind from complaining and being overrun and overtaken by fretting is to always be engaged in doing good. Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Can you say it with me? Trust in the Lord and do good. And then he says, dwell in the land. Now that's the third part. If you want to be free of a fretting, agitated mind, trust in the Lord and get involved in doing good works and then dwell in the land. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Now for David, when he wrote that, this this meant the promised land. 
the actual acreage of the promised land in Israel. When David said dwell in the land, he was talking to Hebrew people who had been told by God, if you want to be blessed, you're going to have to be in the land. There is a place and there is a blessing in that place. If you're in the place God wants you to be in, you'll have the blessing of God in that place. When you get out of where God wants you, you will lose the blessing and be very aware that something's wrong and you've got to get back in the place and back in the blessing. But for David, it was the literal promised land. That's why when tough times would come to Israel and they would be tempted to go down to Egypt, God would say, don't you go down to Egypt. Don't you seek shelter in Egypt because I want you to stay in the promised land. Even when it's tough in the promised land, I'm going to take care of you and bless you there. But what about us in the New Testament? He hadn't given us literal acreage to take and to live in so that we're blessed. No, our blessing in the New Testament is not geographical. That's not our promised land. Our promised land is the fullness of the Spirit. It is the peace of God. It is the joy of the Lord. It is the promised spiritual land of liberty within. God has given you and I as believers a promised land. Paul talked about it and he called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is a condition. It is a condition. And what is the condition? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. And he says, that's your promised land. So when you wake up in the day, do you say, today I'm pressing into that promised land? I was telling the first service, when I get up in the morning, I get into the Word before I eat. I get into the Word before I turn on a radio. I get into the Word before I do anything, because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to press into my promised land. I'm not going to walk out that door until I have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when I walk out of the door filled with the Spirit and joy in the Holy Ghost and the peace of God, I can take on any devil. I will win the day. But you've got to press into that promised land. So say with me, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Dwell in that land. Whereas God called Israel to take literal acreage of earthly land, he wants us to take the acreage of spiritual land, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law. That's our promised land. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be delivered from sin. He rose from the dead so that death, hell, and the grave would have no more victory over us. When Jesus' blood was spilled, he took the teeth out of the devil. Satan lost his power. O oh, death, where is thy sting and grave? Where is thy victory? Listen, we're not just waiting for some great moment by and by. Do you know that our heaven has already begun? Eternal life has already begun in every believer in this house. And so he says, I want you to live in the land of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not worry, not fretting, not doubting, not anger, but the peace and the joy of the Lord. Some of you just need to get up and make yourself laugh. I see some believers, and I don't want their God. They look like they were baptized in pickled juice. They've got a furrowed brow. They've got a perpetual frown. There's no joy. And I've told you before, if you go from here to a restaurant looking that way, don't tell them you were here. Don't tell them you came to this church. 
If you go out with a smile on your face and the joy of the Lord, then tell them, here's why I'm happy. I'm happy because I am saved. And it's not dependent on circumstances. It is the grace of God moving in my life. And I'm telling you, church, the greatest evidence of the presence of God in someone's life is joy. It's joy. George Mueller who raised up that huge orphanage work in London in the 1800s, said, I make it my first duty every day to get with God until I have his joy. Until I have his joy. What was he saying? I'm going to walk in the land. I'm going to dwell in the land. So trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. And then last, my favorite, delight yourself in the Lord. Without exception, I've noticed this through the years. The person caught up in fretting has lost sight of the Lord and his goodness. If you're always fretting, you need to get your eyes onto the Lord again. God's solution is make him your delight. Trust him, do good, dwell in the land, and then make God your delight. Now, delight means somebody or something that brings a person great enjoyment and pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus bring you great enjoyment and pleasure? I've noticed that when I delight in something, I've always been a guy who had hobbies. I can go all the way back to when I was a kid. I had one, one year it was marbles. Next year it was collecting fossils. Next year it was skating. Next year it was this and that. And the other. I always had a hobby. And I always delighted in that hobby. I always loved it. Now, in the last several years... I've noticed that I've really begun to delight in cycling. Now, I like to cycle, and I don't mean rah, 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 motorcycle. Kathy won't let me have one. She will not let me have one. I've tried everything in the world. She says, you're too preoccupied. You would end up in Oklahoma and not even know you got there. I said, no, Kathy, I wouldn't. As a matter of fact, I have been told that I would be given a free motorcycle from people in this church, and she would not let me have it. You say, well, aren't you the head of the house? Yeah, but I know the neck that turns the head. <laughs> right? And so I, I said, Kathy, please let me know. You can't. And she loves me, and I love her. She's, she's concerned for my well-being. But I'm asking God to change her heart. <laughs> I want her to wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Go get you a Harley. But in the meantime, I pedal. I pedal. And even then on the way out the door, she says, be sure that helmet's on. Don't go on streets. But I have notice something that when I delight in something, when I delight in something, all through the years I've noticed this, when I delight in something, first I want to spend time with it. I want to spend time with it. I will make time for it. I will make time for whatever I delight in. And so will you. So will people. Have you noticed that if you delight in football, you will put on a helmet that looks like cheese you will paint your body colors. You will stand in freezing sleet and cold with no shirt on to cheer your team carrying a piece of leather from one goal to another. 
And if you delight in it, you will stand in a line. You will do whatever you've got to do. You will make time for what you delight in. Next, second thing I've noticed, what I delight in, I happily spend money on it. Money's no issue. When I delight in something, I'll get all the accoutrements that go with those bicycles. I'll get the helmet. I'll get the clothes. I'll get gloves. I'll get lights. I'll get odometers. I'll get everything. And I don't even think about what I'm spending money on because I delight in it. And I've noticed I pay attention to what I delight in. I was confessing to the first service, I just got a new bike a few months ago. I've noticed that I'll be sitting in my living room and I'll think, I'm going to go look at it. <laughs> now, I was just there a few hours before. I know exactly what it looks like. It looks the same. It hadn't gone anywhere. But I said, I'm going to go look at it. I go out in the garage, turn on the light, and I look at it. Now, why am I looking at it? Because I'm delighting in it. And so I'll just go out there and I'll walk around that thing. It's just, a, it's just a bike. It's a carbon bike. It's a nice bike, but it's a bike. But I'll, oh, that paint job. Oh, look at the way that reflector reflects in, at that angle. Look at that light that's on it. Look at those pedals. And I'm focused on it. I'll go back in the house, sit down, do some other things, and think, I'm going to go look at it again. And I'll go look at it. Some of you guys that are looking at me with halo, halos over your head, when you got that new car of yours, you were out at 2 in the morning with a flashlight <laughs> looking at it. We, we, we look at, we focus on what we love. We, we focus on what we delight in. So I spent time with it, spent money on it, focused on it, paid attention to it, and I noticed the last thing I protect, I protect what I delight in. We, we cyclists, we buy chains that no welder can get through. And we wrap the tires and we wrap that bike so nobody can steal what we are delighting in. God forbid that somebody would take that bike. Now, you know what he says? David, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Spend time on him. Spend money on him. Do whatever it takes to get everything you need to study about him. Pay attention to him. Say, Jesus, I know I was here just a few hours ago, but I'm, I just wanted to see you again. I just want to look at your glory. I want to look at the beauty of your countenance. I just want to focus on you for a minute. Lord, I know I, I was in the prayer closet just a few hours ago, but here I am again. I want to see you again because I can't quit thinking about you. So I want to just read about how you healed the sick and raised the dead and the things you taught and the things you gave us and your crucifixion and your resurrection and your encouragement and your guidance and your instruction. Lord, I just want to look at you again. Here I am again. David said, I will be totally content with your likeness when I wake up in the morning. I'm focusing on you, Lord. And Lord, there isn't anybody, anything that's going to take away from you, take away my walk with you, that's going to steal what I have with you. i got a chain around my heart. No devil's going to get in. No person's going to get in. No circumstance is going to get in because I delight in you. So you are precious to me. I'm hanging on. And so, Lord, you've got my time, my best time. You've got my stuff, my things, my money. You've got my attention. And you've got my protection. I delight in you. When he's our greatest desire, when everything else in life takes second place, we're delighting in him. When you do that, listen, when you trust, when you do good, 
When you dwell on the Lamb and delight in Him, there's no room to fret. Your mind is taken up with the things of God. And he says, in turn, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He will literally give you the askings or the requests of your heart. When you really desire him, then what you desire will be granted to you. And here's the catch. If he is your delight, you will not be asking for things to fulfill your own lusts, as James talks about in chapter 4, verse 3. But the fact that you are seeking your happiness in the Lord will regulate your desires so that you will be disposed to ask for only those things that will be proper for him to give you. See, if he's really your delight, you're going to be asking for things that delight him. And he'll give them to you. He'll give them to you. I believe a lot of people miss the power of Christianity because they think it's nothing but a ticket to heaven someday. But when we got saved, we were put into a kingdom. And our citizenship is in that kingdom. And there are different rules of operation in that kingdom. And that kingdom says, trust him. Do good. Delight yourself in him. Dwell in the land. And you'll experience the goodness of God. Can we stand together? Can you say with me, trust, do good, dwell, delight? I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer, can we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, and please, no movement unless it's this way in just a moment. But I, I, on my way to church, and last night, on my way here, we had a great Saturday night, good attendance. God was here. But I was on my way here and I had people on my mind, people in my heart, those who walked with the Lord but have, have drifted and you've gotten out of delighting in Him. And you know what? I'm not condemning you in any way, shape, or form. I've been there. I've been there. I can't point a finger at anybody. I've been there. I know what it feels like. But I want you to know that you're missing something. There is such a power to getting right with God being right in there where you ought to be he doesn't want to hurt you he doesn't want to steal something away from you he doesn't want to take the fun out of life he wants to show you his goodness and so some have drifted and just gotten away and I really felt a burden to call you back. That this is the day of salvation. This is the hour to get right. And then there might be some who have never had the miracle of Jesus coming into your heart. I want you to understand with your heads bowed, this is very important. Jesus is not a New Year's resolution. Jesus... Christianity is not turning over a new leaf. It's not rehabilitation. Christianity is divine transformation. It is when God comes into your heart and does what you could never do. He changes you. 
on the inside. Makes you a brand new person. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And it's not that you've got to do anything. What you've got to do only is look up in faith and say, I receive the gift of salvation. I receive the gift. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you, if you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories. I've drifted from the Lord and I'm not ashamed to say it as in I, I, I really want to be in the center of his will again. And this has spoken to me today. I don't want to be of a fretful mind. I don't want to be agitated all the time. But I want his peace. Or if you've got a question that you've ever accepted Christ into your heart, would you let me pray with you? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Say, I'm in one of those two categories, Pastor Jeff. Raise them high. Let me see you. God bless you, many of you, many of you. I'm going to ask you to do something. I did this when I was 16 years old in juvenile home. I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are and come and stand in front of me. I want to take your hand. I want to pray with you. Don't worry about what people think. Who cares what people think? It's what God thinks that matters. And as soon as you take one step, that's a step of faith. And God's going to begin to work in your heart as soon as you take a step. So why don't you come right now? If you raise your hand, just come right now. Come quickly. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't give the enemy time to talk you out of it. You come right now. Come right now. We're going to believe God to touch you today.